At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. If you're like me, you spend lots of time pouring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. Welcome to the Truth From Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Spartan Forge. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 319. Today, I'm joined by my buddy, Dan Johnson, to talk about out-of-state hunts and hunting a new property. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. I am feeling exceptionally refreshed here. I just got back from the annual weekend that I take my wife on a little, you know, post-holiday craziness kind of uh, getaway that we do every year to a place that we like to go to where we just kind of lounge around in, in bathrobes, hang out in a hot tub, eat good food, order room service. On this particular trip, I, I ran into a the rare bottle of Pappy Van Winkle that I was able to, um, that I was able to partake of. So I was pretty, uh, pretty stoked about that, but all in all awesome weekend is also this past weekend marked the end of the Pennsylvania statewide kind of late season. If you, if you will, there's still some special reg units open, you know, around, around me and so forth, but by and large, the season has kind of come to an end. And, uh, so I have fingers crossed that we 
don't get crazy cold weather and, and, and snow and stuff. Cause uh, right now, uh, the place that I would really like to get to, to do some scouting is, is open for business. Um, as they say, so I'm kind of chomping at the bit to check some of that stuff out. And this is really kind of the time of year where it's like, I, I, I start to, I guess, flip the switch a little bit and start thinking about next year. I do like to take a little bit of time off. Um, but this year, for whatever reason, I'm really kind of chomping at the bit to actually load up the trailer, throw the dog in the trailer and uh, not literally throw him, but load him into the trailer and, uh, head to the North piece and start doing some scouting. I know a lot of folks will, you know, will wait a lot of times, um, to, for at least the, you know, antlers to drop, so to speak. So you're not pushing deer out and, you know, hopefully you, if you know where they're at, they might still be in those kind of, you know, uh, sanctuaries, if you will, post gun season places that they might be hang, hanging out, especially if it's cold, you know, if you're on South facing slopes or whatever the case is and not wanting to run them out of those places because you're hoping to pick up antlers. I deprioritize antlers for me and I prioritize just getting in, especially on this North piece where there's often a lot of snow cover. Um, I prioritize just getting in when I can still see the bare ground. And so, if that holds up here for the next two weeks, probably not next weekend because I have some stuff, uh, some obligations uh, that I need to take care of. But the weekend after that, I think if the weather's right, I'm probably going to make a trip up and uh, at least while the ground's still bare and see what I can learn from this uh, from this past season. But speaking of learning from this past season, i uh, got some really cool stuff to pass along to you guys. Um, our buddies over at Exodus, you guys know them, you love them. They've been a partner of the show for, for a long time. I've had word on this for a little while and it's, and I've managed to keep it under wraps. Haven't said anything to anybody, but they are actually going to be introducing, uh, as of this past Monday, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, introducing the new Exodus rival, what the rival is, is they're, they've been hard at work kind of building out their next line of trail cameras. And what the rival is, is actually a budget friendly cell camera that's you know, as reliable as you've come to expect from their, their, their regular, you know, the, the lift two and the, and the render. So it's as reliable as hard, hardworking and just as easy to use as any of their previous cameras. And it has a lot of the same features that you kind of have, have grown to love over the, you know, the past several, you know, six, seven years, if you've been using any of their, any of their previous um, cameras, but over the past year, like I mentioned, they've been kind of hard at work behind the scenes, developing this camera, their next generation of cameras. And the one thing that they always do is take consumer feedback. So whether you're talking to them at a Harrisburg show or you're sending them an email or whatever the case is, they're listening to the people who's actually using these in the field, listening to your opinion and what you're looking for. And that's kind of how the rival came, uh, came to be. It's the best budget cell camera on the market. So it's a budget uh, friendly cell camera and, and it's coming in at a price point at $179. And if you know anything about the Exodus trail cameras, they just flat out work. And it's of course, backed by the Exodus Advantage, the five-year no BS um, no BS warranty that you've come grown accustomed to. So just to kind of drop a couple of the specs, you know, you should tune in. Um, they'll have a bunch of information on their website. And if you're coming to the Harrisburg show, stop in and talk to them there and ask all the questions that you want to get want to get answered. But just to kind of drop a little bit of the knowledge or a little bit of the specs for you here, it's 0.3 second trigger speed, 70-foot detection uh, distance uh, with adjustable sensitivity, 30-second photo transmission, adjustable image quality and on upload of photos, crisp HD images compatible with their Exodus SP18 solar panel, which I use on all of my um, on all my cell cameras. And then once again, you know, not to harp on it, but again, backed by their five-year no BS warranty. So the Exodus Rival is officially opening for pre-sale on January 16th. So this past Monday, they opened for pre-sale. I think that started around 7.30. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday, you can go ahead uh, over to the website at exodusoutdoorgear.com and pre-order uh, this cell camera. And if you do that, use the code LAUNCH, and that will save you $30 off on each camera. And in doing so, 
Um, that actually would just be until while supplies last because I believe they're closing everything down for the pre-sale on February 14th at midnight. So head over to ExodusOutdoorGear.com, use the promo code LAUNCH, L-A-U-N-C-H, save yourself 30 bucks, and it'll also help support some of the folks who help help support this uh, help support this podcast. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. Today I have on my good buddy, Dan Johnson. You know him, you love him, Mr. Nine Fingers himself. Uh, it's always good to kind of catch up with Dan. You know, we always, it seems now we catch up like preseason, kind of know, see what's going on with each other, and then we catch up postseason to see how everything went. And in true Nine Finger fashion, um, he always has some crazy stories and some crazy things that happen to him while he's in the timber. And it's... Uh, and this uh, and this session holds uh, holds true as well. Um, he killed a killer buck in Iowa that we talk about, and then he had some other kind of weird wonky hunts when he was out west that we kind of dive into as well. We do a little wrestling talk or a little grappling talk because his kids are uh, wrestling now, which is awesome because I'm a big uh, a big fan of grappling. So we talk a little bit about that. But overall, just a killer session with Dan. Always great having him on. I uh, hope you guys dig the conversation as much as I did. And as always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truths from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I have on my buddy, my brother from another mother, Mr. Dan Mother Freaking Nine Fingered <laughs> Johnson. What's going on, dude? Not too much, man. Uh, it, you sounded like you were mad at a kid. The way you introduced me, you didn't, you didn't say the swear word, but you said, you know, you got close. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's trying to keep it clean for the kids, man. You know what I mean? There you go. You gotta, you know, if you're going to drop those, you gotta, you gotta do the old earmuffs, you know, earmuff alert for anyone driving, driving and listening that way. I sometimes forget that, man. I'll be at like the, uh, um, I'll be at like the jujitsu gym and we'll be like wrapping up, like, you know, getting changed or whatever. And just like, you know, getting ready to leave and a couple of the guys they'll bring their kids in like for open mat and stuff like that. Some of their, you know, my daughter takes classes there and some of their, their boys take cl- uh, classes there. So on open mats, they'll bring them in and they'll just kind of rough house with each other as the old men are beating each other up. And, uh, and we'll be talking about whatever as people are getting ready to leave and you forget that there's little kids around and someone like drops yeah. an F bomb and you can see like the little like 10 year old, like grinning from ear to ear. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. he's like, I know I'm not allowed to say that word, but it was kind of cool that I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And that's how kids learn to swear. Uh, that is, it's like context, right? They get it. You know what I mean? They'll be like, Oh, so I can drop this whenever, uh, you know, I drop a tool <laughs> when I'm helping dad right. on the car or, or whatever the case is. But how you been, man? It's been a while since we got to, uh, got to catch up, man. What's going on with you? How you man, been? I tell you what, life is good, but life is full bore, like yeah. pedal to the metal. Uh, it's nonstop. But it's good, man. Nice. That's awesome. I uh I've been kind of living vicariously a little bit through uh through your stories and stuff, watching you uh get down and dirty with the kids on the mat, watching your kids on the mat, <laughs> doing some grappling, dude. So I so I knew that you were into wrestling. Like this is even before you and I like knew each other officially, because I saw like on a Instagram post or story or something like that way back in the day. And this might even been like like very early nine finger chronicle days, like when you and Mark were still doing the show together and stuff, like it yeah. might've been like that long ago. I saw you, you know, do something like, well, I think you went to like a meet or something like that. And I was like, Oh no shit. It's like, he's into wrestling. And I didn't know yeah. that. Um, did you wrestle growing up? So I wrestled sixth, seventh, eighth, and part of ninth grade. Okay. And here's the funny story. You look at me and you, you go, that guy looks if you were to say, is that guy a wrestler or is that guy a basketball player? You would say that guy's definitely a wrestler. Yes. No way he's a basketball player. Yeah. But all of my friends, my friend group, 
all of my friends were basketball players. Hmm. So I thought I should be a basketball player. And so at in ninth grade, it's basically when I was in high school, you had to choose. Right. Right. Because the practices were at the same time. Mm-hmm. The the meets were, you know, different nights away and whatnot. And so I pretty much had to choose. And so I choose to be with my friends. And it is one thing that I really regret not doing mm-hmm. because I really felt like I, I, I really did have fun wrestling. Yeah. And uh, I learned a lot of things about you can learn a lot of things about yourself through wrestling that you may not learn through a sport like basketball. Yeah, man, that is no truer words have ever been spoken. You know, I started, I think whenever I was like, uh, I think seventh grade Um, and it was really my dad, my, all my cousins wrestled and stuff like that. And my dad put me in it because he and my mom split up and all this stuff. And like, I was 12 years old, 13 years old. And you're you're just angry because you don't understand, you know? And so he's like, all right, well, let's uh, go ahead and focus some of this anger and energy that's get you on a wrestling mat. And so that's really kind of how I started. And, you know, I wrestled all the way up through high school. I actually didn't go out my senior year, which is like, to your, to your point, like it was the, the one regret that I had is that I didn't go out my senior year. Cause I had some, maybe some very slim opportunities to go wrestle like after that potentially, yeah. you know, cause during the, <clears throat> during the off season stuff, I would go to, you know, freestyle tournaments and stuff like that, you know, during the, you know, I guess the summer and spring and summer months, essentially, you know, go to open tournaments and stuff like that. And I just, I absolutely loved it. The part that I couldn't hack anymore, though, was the, was cutting weight. Yeah. Uh, Cause I cut a good bit of weight. Like I would cut anywhere, you know, 20, 20, 20 plus pounds a year, usually. Yeah. Um, and it just was, you know, it was hard. And like, you know, when you're a kid and this was back in the day, dude, we're going to date ourselves here. Like, we didn't have nutrition science back in the day. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it was uh, rubber suits and hot rooms. Rubber suits, hot rooms, and don't eat. Like That, yeah. <laughs> that was the diet. Yeah. You know what I mean? The worst possible advice. So what, <laughs> hey, uh, I got to prepare for this really strenuous activity. I need to be in top shape. How do I get there? Right. You're going to not eat, and you're going to just run until you're dehydrated. Yeah. Could you imagine getting ready to go like do like a gnarly Western hunt, and your preparation was, <laughs> I'm just going to starve myself and not drink any water. <laughs> yeah. And just deplete your body of all nutrients. Yeah, exactly. It's just, yeah. you know, what they know now today, like to manage weight and strength and all that yeah. stuff is just, you know, well, even now they have rules in place where these kids can't cut any more than like, I don't know. I don't know exactly right. what it is, but they can't cut any more than like 10 pounds or something like that. They have to weigh in before the season and then yeah, they're only so, allowed to drop so much weight, you know, during the course of the season based on their preseason weigh in. Yeah. And so now kids are, maintaining certain weights throughout the whole year yeah instead of you know doing the big cuts so that they can so that they can get down to a weight and then drop down even further Mm -hmm. if they need to so they're they're starting the process of cutting weight well before the season even starts yeah yeah and as long as you do it in a healthy way you know i remember the worst one for me was uh because i always fluctuated man i i finally i guess my junior year i got it down to where like i kept my weight pretty close all year long you know yeah and and I was really kind of dedicated. And, uh, but the year before we left for Christmas break and I came back and we had a match like right after Christmas break, we had a match three days after we came back from like Christmas or whatever. And, uh, you know, we all had to weigh in like before practice and coach would make you go around the room and say like where your weight's at, you know, and he wasn't asking you what you weigh. He wanted your plus or minus, you know, like how much yeah. are you over, how much you under, like whatever the case is, everyone's going around the room. We got a match in three days. And, uh, he gets to me, he's like, Campbell, I'm like, uh, 16. He's like <laughs> under, I'm like, no, 
Uh, man, I lost 16 pounds in three days. That was brutal. Oh, man. That was the worst. I was at a wrestling tournament once, and there was this guy who took diuretics. Oh, man. Like, yeah. to make himself shit mm -hmm. before the, you know, to make weight. And so he went out there, and he, he made weight, and mm -hmm. he wrestled, but he got put in, like, he got put in the upper body lock, <laughs> yeah. and he... He shit his pants yeah. on the mat, yes. and then the guy backed up, but it, it, he didn't stop. He wrestled, and he pinned the guy <laughs> with a dirty butt. <laughs> dude. And, and the whole crowd was like, what? Yeah, oh, my God, dude. I, so I can, I can honestly say I've never taken any, like, diuretics or anything like yeah. that to, to make weight. Yeah. Now, there was a kid who had a similar story on my team the one year, did the same thing. And uh, a kid shot in for a takedown, like first period, and straight shit himself on the takedown. Like tried to yeah. sprawl and just like lost it. And uh, yep. he ended up forfeiting forfeiting the match because there was like a no doubter. Like it wasn't like uh, like people didn't know. <laughs> you know it yeah. was like visibly. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was yep. uh, he'd done the deed. You know. Yep. So that was all she wrote for uh, for him on that one. But yeah, man, it's teaches you great life. Uh, great life lessons. And I mean, I'm even getting great life lessons now, like, you know, doing jujitsu at 44 years old, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just like going in there and just trying to do hard things every day. And it's humbling. That's for sure. Like wrestling is just grappling in general is one of those things. It's just, it's a very humbling sport, you know? Yeah. Um, there's always someone better than you, you know, there's, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the one thing like with, uh, BJJ is like you walk in, like there's a guy, he's new to our gym and I was rolling with him the other day. Super good dude. Um, I don't really know like where he's at. I know he's more advanced than me and we were kind of talking afterwards. He's been doing it a long time, but anyway, I probably outweigh the guy by, I don't know, Dan, probably like 30 pounds easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he straight up arm barred me like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like you look at him, you'd be like, I could throw that guy around and just like kick my ass for six minutes, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not the size, it's the, the technique, which is the, is the, the great equalizer, but so yes. it, it looks like your kids are uh, are some savages on the mat, though, dude. I was watching your your uh, IG story just even today, and you had I don't know if they were in a tournament or what, but it looked like they all were yeah. uh, faring pretty well. The youngest one, dude, had me laughing because that kitty was ra uh, wrestling, like getting tossed around, just like the biggest shit eating grin on his face the whole yep. time. I'm like, I was yep. like, man, I love that. I was like, that is yep. awesome because they're just like they're just loving it. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. being active and just wrestling like you know boys should. Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay. So here's how it, here's how it started. The, at the beginning of this year, wrestling became a point of interest, <laughs> and so my daughter went out, my son went out, and my both my boys went out. Right, mm -hmm. and so they started. My daughter went to two. I guess you would call it trial classes, mm -hmm. and so the trial classes happened, and then she's like, "Well, I I just don't want to do it anymore." I'm like, "Okay, mm -hmm. trial classes." But if you know, because I said if you start it and I pay for it, you're going through the whole year, right. the whole yeah. session, and then what? And then you can quit afterwards. Okay, so she said, I want to do dance. So my two boys said they wanted to stick with it. And so they started wrestling. And then we got a wrestling mat in our basement. Mm -hmm. And then my daughter was like, hey, I want to wrestle you. And to my oldest boy, my oldest boy's like, bring it. And so they wrestled. And my daughter was, you know, she outweighs him by 12 pounds. She's mm -hmm. three years older than him or whatever, uh, two years older than him. And so now she's like, if I can beat him, 
I'm sure there's other people I could beat. Right. And so now she wants to go out now. Right. And so she started up this past week. And this is the tough part about getting kids into wrestling because if there's this balance, it's not like I there's there's no other sport I feel like you're walking a razor's edge where you could burn a kid out mm-hmm. than wrestling. Yeah. Um and I, I I don't know if I made a mistake or I didn't read into this tournament enough, but on Sunday we had two tournaments. My boy was going to be in the morning one that was competitive. Uh, you know, there was places if you got pinned, yeah. you lost. And then in the afternoon there was a uh, they call it developmental tournaments yeah. where if you get pinned, you keep wrestling for the whole the whole match, yeah. right? Just to get kids mat time. Yep. And so and so my son goes to this tournament. And they they make you check these boxes: beginner, average, experienced, like elite. Those are the categories. Mm-hmm. And so I put beginner because my boy's only been wrestling for four months. Mm-hmm. And so the tournament said that they were going to try to bracket these kids accordingly to match up with similar. Well, they didn't, <laughs> and he got put into a bracket with kids that have like four years of experience on them. Their oh, records wow. were like twenty and five, twenty and two. Mm-hmm. So 30 seconds into the first two match, over. He got thrown right on his back and, and visibly upset. Right. He's frustrated. And so because we've had him at these, these developmental tournaments and he'll, he'll work the kids pretty well. Right. right? He, he, he can, he's aggressive, but aggressive only goes so far until you meet someone with technique. Yeah. You can only bull rush someone, but if you bull rush someone with technique, you're going to end up seeing the ceiling. Yeah. And so, and so, Three times he got pinned in the tournament. He finished dead last in his bracket, no wins. Hmm. And then he was really discouraged. Luckily, we had this developmental tournament coming up in the afternoon. And so we ended up getting him in the – I, I, I kind of sweet-talked him into it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And then I'm I'm so thankful that he did that so he could end on a good note because yeah. he was able to wrestle kids a little bit closer to him. He got some wins. He got some pins. And and so he ended on a good note. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, uh, it was one of those oh shit moments where I'm just like, oh, man, I hope I didn't just like ruin, ruin everything. Right, yeah. something that he's really – has enjoyed, you know what I mean? Up, yes. to, up to that point. Yeah. Cause yeah. you know, it's hard when they're that young, like, you know, just, you know, you're, you're hundred percent right, man. You're kind of walking a razor's edge of kind of making sure that they kind of get the, um, I guess the principles and the lessons that the sport teaches, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, you know, that's, yeah. so that's a good part. Like, cause losing isn't bad. Right. Like, you know, even when right. we talk about hunting, like failing's part of it, right? Like there's going to be, there's value in that, like throughout your life of, of being able to accept those things and, and, and move on. But when they're that young and they can't contextualize, you know, like the value of it, they just see like win right. and fail or win and loss. Right. And that's how they right. frame things. And so you're so right. And it's even, I think even when you get kids into hunting at a young age, you kind of walk that razor's edge too, man, because they, I mean, they think, or they want to at least go out and see animals like every time you go out, you know what I mean? And right. sometimes when you go out, like you just don't see any, <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? And it's hard for them to understand like that that's, that's fun and that's okay. Cause the animals is like the prize that they see at the end of the rainbow, not the things as you get older that you start to look at and go, man, it was the time and you know, having a peaceful time in, in a tree by myself, watch, listening to the wind blow, listening to the birds, like all the things you take for granted. They don't, you know, they're just not developed yeah. enough yet to kind of grasp those things. And so it's, 
it's hard for a parent in those types of environments to like, how do you bring them along to where they get the, the lessons and the values out of it, but keep you engaged and show you the fun stuff or the exciting stuff often enough to where you still want to do it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the plan going, uh, going forward? Any more tournaments or anything on the horizon? Oh yeah, we're gonna try to we're gonna try to get them in as many of these developmental tournaments as possible. We got one this weekend. Uh, my son bumped up to a new wrestling room. Uh, he's not in the beginner anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in the intermediate class now. Hopefully, he can wrestle some kids, more kids his age and size. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got the developmental tournaments. That's gonna help my daughter and my youngest boy. Like my five year old, it's just this is just something to do. Right? You know, there's absolutely zero expectations with him. Uh, my daughter she's she's like she's all about wanting to wrestle in these com- uh competitive ones but i dude i uh, i went to a high a high school wrestling mat our our meet this last thursday mm-hmm. and our in Iowa, the big thing now is dude all these high schools are getting girls wrestling teams and i mean yeah. they are they're bigger i mean i mean there's more girls on the on the girls wrestling team in in this high school that we go to than the boys team. Wow. And so there are some bad girls, man. I yeah. mean, some, I mean, I mean that in the most like dangerous, dangerous, badass girls. Right. Just like t- tough rappers. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh man. Yeah. They are good. And so my daughter saw this and she's, she wants to do that now. And she's like really fired up about it. And, and I, I felt really good about what happened at this developmental tournament because I, f- she's really aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I think she, probably made one of these boys not ever want to wrestle (laughs) (laughs) she was like putting the forearm on the back of the head trying to force the the half nelson and really work him over and just like making him eat mat and then like the mat returns like picking the heel and pushing him back down and uh and uh and this kid was just giving up yeah. And she was, and then she got happy after that. And then she, she wrestled an, another kid a little taller than her and more of her height and weight. And it was a, it was a pretty even match, but she walked out pissed and she was fired up and mm-hmm. like, she's got it yeah. right. She's got that attitude that you need to have in a, in a sport like this. And, yeah. and, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how, uh, my oldest boy comes out of this weekend and my daughter, uh, as far as you know, wanting to get her in maybe a real tournament by the end of this year. Nice, nice. Yeah, I know. Like even Iowa, like Hawkeyes, the, the college team, yeah. like they've even put a focus on. I, I know that they've actually, I'm pretty sure, have given scholarships out to a couple different girls this past like year. Um, oh yeah, to put on the team. Yeah, the University of Iowa yeah. is going to have a, a a women's wrestling team next year. That's official. Yeah, they've already hired the head coach. So. Yeah. It's legit, man. That's awesome. And they did a great job like this past Olympic cycle. Like I watched oh, yeah. probably more female freestyle wrestling in the Olympics than I probably have ever watched in my life, you know. Yeah. Um they've just done a really good job of kind of taking, you know, what the men were doing and using, you know, cuz they've had like some names now that finally this like past cycle where I won't say they're a household, right? Cuz it's still wrestling, it's still a niche sport, but as household as you could get with like a Gable Stevenson and, and with like a Kyle Snyder and, and David Taylor, yeah. like that were on, you know, and Kyle Dake, like guys who actually meddled, you know, and who wrestled at big college programs that people would know and follow from college to Olympics. Like they good, they did a good job of keeping that stuff connected to help, I think, kind of put some shine on what the fe- uh, the female team was doing because they got some savages on the female team, yeah. like just yeah. straight savages. And like some of those matches, man, it's just like a lot of sports, man. Like, and I was just going to say like your, your daughter, wrestling some of those boys 
like, I mean, we all know girls typically are smarter than boys, <laughs> certainly when they're younger. <laughs> and so yeah. she'll probably pick up technique really quick, like just because yeah. of her ability to like understand, comprehend, because they just develop more quickly. And so I'd be interested to just see how much cleaner her technique gets maybe than like, like the boys her own age. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, that, and I think a, a kid at her age can understand leverage more mm -hmm. than, than my boy. Like right. she understood that she, if she wants to work that half, she's got to get on the opposite side and, mm -hmm. or on, on the same side and drive it. Mm -hmm. And my, my boy's trying to, you know, still be riding them right. and put the half in and turn them, you know, so they start to, it, it clicks a little bit faster the older you get. Right. So now the big question is when's the old man getting on the mat? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Dude, dude, I am so broken. It's not even funny. Like, so I'm sitting outside of the practice. So right before the kids go in to the wrestling room, the high school, the high schoolers are getting done. And so the, uh, the high school coach comes out and he, he sees me sitting in a, in a chair and he stops, he looks at me and he goes, Hey, do you want a good workout? And I go, uh, why? It, it depends. He goes, you want to come roll with our heavyweight? We need some more guys to roll for him to roll with. And I just go, dude, my ego wants to say yes so badly to get out there. But I am I'm one hip toss away from never walking again. again. You know what I mean? Like my knee would just explode or I'd be in traction for a month. And right. it just like, so I had to check my ego mm -hmm. and be like, just, just don't do it because I, I just, I don't need another knee surgery at, at my age. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a, uh... It's funny, dude. When I first started taking jujitsu, I would come home and my wife would be like, how is it? And I'm like, I just left the gym five minutes ago and I'm like, I'm already sore. Like, yeah. you know, it's like it, the soreness usually doesn't happen until like maybe the next day or like an hour later to a couple hours later when you start moving. But it was like literally the soreness would set in in the first couple of weeks were brutal. Like I felt after every live rolling session, I felt like the next day, like I was in a mild car accident. It's like yeah. completely. St now it's gotten better now. Like my, I've gotten used to it, but yeah, man, you gotta, sometimes you gotta take that old guy rest day off. I certainly do that where I'm yeah. like, I'm like, yeah, today yeah. isn't, today isn't the day I got up this morning. My hip was clicking. My knee was weird. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, but, but so we have a huge, uh, meet coming up, dude. We've got a, we've got a Penn state and Iowa match coming up for the, in, in uh, in the, uh, the big 10 duels. And, uh, yeah. you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe you and I should be making a wager on that. So, so I've seen Penn state wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen Iowa wrestle this year. And although Iowa is ranked number two, like, I would be stupid. <laughs> like, you know, if, if this was a football or a basketball game, you could say, oh, there's a prayer right. that Iowa could, could win or whatever. But I think that I, – I don't think it's going to be pretty for Iowa. No. Nah. I, think, I think Penn State's going to walk away with it and fairly easily. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be some, there's going to be a couple of really good matches. I mean, Spencer Lee will mop yeah. the 125 pounder up. Uh, Cassiopeian yeah. Dean wrestling. Uh, I'm sorry, Cassiopeian Curve Cleat uh, wrestling again will be a good match, and then Warner and Dean will be a good match. I mean, except Warner Warner's already lost like yeah. twice this year, three times this year. But Dean lost twice already too. He lost the beard from yeah. Lehigh, and then he lost. Uh, I forget who the other kid was, but the kid was ranked like 13th at the time or something like that. He's lost two yeah. suspect matches too. Well, Lee got put on his back against Purdue. Oh, did he really? Times. Yeah. Oh, I and didn't then see that. He, he came back at, from like eight down eight to one and pinned the guy. 
Yeah, he's a savage man. That kid. Yeah, he's just a, he's just a brute. But yeah. anyway, we'll pivot now to deer hunting, man. I had to get a little grappling talk in with someone who dig, yeah. digs the grappling, man. But uh, how's uh, how's things been, man, with your season, dude? I know. So I was trying to remember the last time we talked because I knew there were some things that was up in the air. Like I'm, obviously you were hunting Iowa this year, and I, I know you killed a deer, um, killed a good buck in Iowa. But you went to Nebraska, and then you also went to South Dakota, right? Right. Kicked it off with a Nebraska hunt in September, and uh, then in October, it was mid, man, I don't even know, it was like the third week in October, I went to South Dakota, Mm -hmm. and then Iowa was really just a a four-day event in on a new farm that I got access to. So I really didn't hunt a ton in Iowa this year. I went uh, in December for a four day late season hunt right before I had to go do a Christmas or after Christmas before new year's mm-hmm. uh, did, did four days in four hunts there and got close, but then had a dog issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, other than that, man, it just, the season to me just, went by so fast that it didn't even exist almost. Yeah. It it was a funky season for me too, man. I was just talking to a buddy of mine about that. I was like, I felt like this year and I don't know why I just felt all kinds of, um, all kinds of out of sorts. And I was like, and I don't know if like, cause this year I I went to Idaho and did it, did an elk hunt. I was like, and I don't know if it's because I cut my time short on every other hunt that I was doing after Idaho. Cause I took time, you know, time to go out there. But as I just kind of felt, you know, one that it just kind of whizzed by and two, I just felt like I was a day late and a dollar short on everything that I was doing. Yeah. Um, but how was that? How was Nebraska overall? How was that trip? Hot. Yeah, it was hot. Uh, I kicked, I started off on a, on pretty much a, uh, some public that I was, I, I knew about or that I, that I learned about went to Nebraska Spent three nights in this one. Is uh, I was like, I spent. There was three properties. I camped in the middle one, and then it would drive north to one and south to the other. Mm-hmm. And I covered them, and there was very little deer hmm. on on this uh, property. It was hot. I mean, the the first day and a half before a cold front eventually came through, it was ninety five. It was like eighty five, and I'm sitting in the back. I'm laying in the back of my truck trying to fall asleep. Oh, it's the worst. Um, in in the bed. And, uh, you know, I brought a zero degree, (laughs) zero degree, uh, sleeping bag. And so I'm, I'm just laying on top of it and it's still sweating, sweating sweating my balls off and it's 11 o'clock at night. Uh, And so I ran into some, some mule deer and then I said, yeah, dude, I got to go someplace else. And then I went, so I drove from Iowa to my first spot was like eight hours. And then I traveled uh, I, I hunted two and a half, three days there. Then it rained one morning. So I said, Hey, I'm just going to get in the car and finish driving all the way to Northwest Nebraska and, uh, hunted, hunted a whole bunch of different properties up there and, and really didn't, I mean, I saw one good whitetail, uh, and, and just like four corn mule deers. And really that, that's all I saw. And it, it was one of those hunts where the conditions made it, made me lose interest in it mm. real fast. Yeah. And I decided, um, I decided, you know, 
I'm going to, I'm just, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to hunt it out. But there was nothing that really caught my attention and made me go, Oh, I want to go chase that. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I, I'm going to walk. I don't really want to walk two miles for a four corn. Right. Type of deal. In 90 like, degree uh, heat. In night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so let me ask you this. This is, this is something that I had, I, I had, had contemplated and had to think about. So I had a guy uh, who lived in Nebraska and he had a farm that he said, Hey dude, you come and, and you can hunt my farm. Like it's yours. Mm-hmm. You do whatever you want. He started sending me pictures of mule deer, bigger, biggest, bigger mule deer than I had seen in any Nebraska public. Right. And he's like, dude, come, come. And I, I said, dude, I really appreciate this, but I'm going to go give this public a try. Mm-hmm. And so I, I said to myself, I, I'm going to, I'm going to skip on the private. I'm going to try to grind it out on public and, and, and give it a shot. But the more I think about it, it's this, like this, these experiences are so limited in life, Mm -hmm. especially at my age, you know, like who knows how, how much longer I'm going to be able to go do this, that, uh, that I'm starting to reconsider my approach and not, not necessarily grind have to grind as hard, especially if someone's offering you an experience that's not going to cost anything. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just, I was, I was contemplating like, ah, thank you very much, but I don't want to come on your property. Uh, I really appreciate it, but I'm going to give this. And the whole time I'm thinking, you know, this guy's sending me cell cam pics mm-hmm. of the mule deer that are on his property right now and that I could go and potentially hunt. Right. And, but here I am just, grinding it out right so I I, I was was trying to yeah I was trying to do it the hard way and with with a different opportunity right in front of me so I I don't know I I really hadn't finished that thought you know what I mean yeah I mean the 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by John Browning the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985 while Colt produced the original Almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. You and I are very similar in that way. It's like once I set my sights on like a a type of experience or a certain goal, like I'm hard-pressed to want to come off of it. You know what I mean? Like in that moment, it's like maybe next year, like I would think about like, yeah, I could go hunt that farm next year. If the offer still stands, that that would be an opportunity. Right. And that's a lot of times I think probably similar to you to where it's like, I've set my goal. I've set my sight. It's going to be miserable. I don't want to think to myself that I, that I cut bait because it is miserable. You know what I mean? But at the same time, like I'm, and again, I think we're similar in this way that as I'm getting older, I'm looking at it going, by whatever means necessary, as long as I'm having the experience that I want to have, yeah. it, it how it looks can change. Yeah. You know what I mean? And 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 that's okay. Because um, I think you hit a certain point where, and I think we're both, I think we've both been there for a while. It's like, I don't give a shit what other people think. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, right. I, I don't care what people on the gram think of whatever I kill or I don't kill or whatever the case is. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And everyone can be good with it or not, but it's not, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it, you know? Um, cause I've been thinking, I've been thinking a lot about that recently too. Um, you know, grinding it out here in, in, in PA, you know, 
crazy pressure, you know, even just in my home state, you know what I mean? That where it's the hunting's kind of can be tough. And I started kind of thinking about, you know, you know, you know, as you get older, you think about like investments, right? Like, well, what, what could I invest in? Right. Like when you start to think about it and I was like, well, land is always a good opportunity to invest in, in land. And so then I started thinking about like, well, where would I invest, you know, in land? I was like, well, I'd like to be able to use it. And so I looked at like maybe a cabin or, you know, just like thinking about like, oh, what could, maybe the family could use it. And then I was like, you know what, maybe I buy a small farm in a state that I'd really like to hunt, you know, and maybe that's part of what I do every year. You know what I mean? And so I started thinking about that and it was along the same lines where I was like, look, I still dig hunting the public land. I still dig traveling, you know, and I've talked to Chad Sylvester about this too. I was like, but as I'm getting older, I was like, man, it'd be nice to have like one gimme hunt not even a gimme hunt, but one like uh, controlled environment, <laughs> yeah. so to speak. You know what I mean? Cause it's like everything I hunt around here is super pressured. You know, I go to Kansas, great hunts in Kansas, but you know, there was pressure there. I was running into people while I was there. Uh, when I come to Iowa, it's like, I've, I've, you know, everyone thinks Iowa has zero people running around. That's not true. There's people there that like to hunt. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, yep. I've seen people when I've been there on the public and Missouri or Ohio or whatever, you know, I was like, I would like to just be able to know that like, if I want to go get away and don't want to be bothered that I could go somewhere and hunt for like three or four days and know that I'm not going to see somebody, yeah. you know, it's just that yeah. little piece of mine. And so I don't know if it's like, as you get older, you just kind of, you know, you want a certain type of experience where you start to f- try to figure out, well, how do I get that? You know? And I think what you, what you look for ultimately starts to change over time too. Yeah. You know? Yep. Absolutely, man. I, I, it's one of these things where I've caught myself so many times when I do my own podcast saying something and then five years later being in a different completely space, you know, space, whether that's financial or mm-hmm. experience level and saying, cause I, I'll, I'll use this as an example. I used to be that guy who was like, Jesus Christ, who, who, who can even afford right. uh, uh, an e-bike? Right. Like I can't afford an e-bike and now I can afford an e-bike. And you know, right. so, so, <laughs> right. so here now I am, like, I man, bought it. The, the e-bike looks pretty yeah. nice, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially when, you know, it saves you some legs and, uh, yeah. saves you, saves your legs, you know, on, on certain issues and the access benefits of it. And, and so I, you know, I've realized that one thing about me that is true to my bone is I'm a hypocrite. Oh yeah. I we, say, we all are, I will... man. Any, anybody, <laughs> anybody who says that they're not is completely full of shit. That's my right. opinion. And it's not that you intend to be, you know what I mean? It's just that again, things that, that you thought when you were 30, you may not still think when you are 40, you know what right. I mean? And things Absolutely. you think when you were 20, you probably don't think when you were 30, you know what I mean? So it's just, right. you know, things change over time. Priorities change. The, the things that are vying for your time change. The amount of time that you have changes, you know what I mean? Things right. that you value change. And so, and so to me, it's like, I never hold those things against somebody. Um, you know, whenever they, when they want to make, you know, decisions to do X, Y, or Z, you know what I mean? Cause it's like, man, yeah. you do you, you know, if it makes you happy, man, I am happy for you you know? Absolutely. And it's kind of, so then, so you went to South Dakota then in the middle of October, right? Right. And so was it, I mean, I'm assuming that was a little, a little better, especially related to the weather. Yeah, it was awesome. And then I got bit by a dog. Oh, are you kidding me? (laughs) Oh wait, I saw that. I remember that. Yeah. 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 Uh, I pull into a piece of public (laughs) <laughs> right. And I, I am, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, man. I don't mean to laugh. I, but that's... I, no, it's good. It's hilarious. I unpack and I'm like, I'm getting set up for a camp. And then I see this guy in a truck 
and he is about ready to drive straight through the public. And he go and I said, "Is this road drivable?" And he goes, "I don't know, but everybody does it." And so um, I think it is. And so I mean, the so he drives all the way back there. Meanwhile, I'm on my e bike, you know, driving. I could I could have driven two more miles back and parked my truck and set up camp instead. Anyway, so he he has an older vehicle and it's roll roll up windows that you have to use your hand or crank, right? right? And so um, he tells me to open his door so he can talk to me. So I open his door and there's a dog in the front seat, a pheasant dog. He tells me, I'm going to go in here and, and do some pheasant hunting. I'm like, okay, cool. And I do what I do to every dog. I put the back of my hand up on its nose to let him smell me. And the the sob ju- just bites me bites the crap out of me instantly, <laughs> oh, and I'm like, what? And so the uh, the only words after that this guy said to me as I'm sitting there dripping blood is, "Hey, you need a tissue?" <laughs> like, <laughs> I think he was afraid I was gonna kick his dog right. like a long ways, right. or I was going to. Um, like turn him in right or, right. or you know, like, and, and so he got real nervous and he wanted to get out of there real quick. So eventually, so the whole first two days of hunting were me with this wound that I had to care for from my, my mobile first aid kit. And then eventually I got talked into, uh, going to the, uh, emergency room, which was one hour drive from the piece of public oh that God. I was on yeah, to get, uh, not rabies shots, but tetanus uh, shot, back, tetanus shot yeah. and uh, whatever the other uh, pills are, like a, uh, antibacterial, uh, type yeah, some of like antibiotics or something and, like that. And yeah, so, antibiotics. Yeah. So, so yeah, and so I I had to do that, and uh, and so that was the first two days of of that hunt, and then really I kind of found myself. I found I I went into a place, and my goal is to hunt mule deer. And so I was focused on the mule deer. And then long story short, man, I saw some whitetails. I chased whitetails for a day and a half. And then I was on a really good whitetail. I watched him walk in and I watched him bed. And I said to myself, dude, I know where this deer is at. I could go and just sit on this, the edge of this marsh and this, this cattail grow and this, uh, I guess prairie grass, and I could just sit there and wait till he pops up, and I he's gonna walk out the same trail. I just know it with this wind direction. And I said to myself, "Dude, you're here to hunt mule deer, right?" Mm-hmm. And so I changed my mind again, and so then I, I I just I left that bedded buck, and I I went and started trying to hunt mule deer in a different piece of public, and mm-hmm. and I ran into some good deer, and I I'm I am in no way, shape, or form a uh, a mule deer expert or anything like that. So I, I do what everybody, you know, everybody probably does. You get up high, glass them. And then as soon as you find them, you try to get in closer, wait for them to bed or watch them go into a crevice where you lose them and then try to pick apart the terrain. And so I did that pretty much for the rest of the trip. Hmm. And, and just, I could not locate the deer that I would see in the morning. They Hmm. were so good at getting into the spots where, I just, I couldn't find them right. and I couldn't, I, I could see them in the morning when they're on their feet. And then by the time they started, you know, they headed into the cracks to bed. And so then the next morning 
or the, the next couple days, I would try to get closer in the dark, get up high closer to them to try to get a different angle of where they're coming in. And then of course they're, they're gone and they, they go somewhere else. Right. And so I see them w- further down the, dr- the valley and it's, you know, you're just chasing them and chasing them and chasing them. And, uh, I just was like, yeah. and then the trip was up. Yeah. It can be, it can be maddening, man. When you're, when you're hunting on the ground like that, you know, yeah. cause even, you know, even in Kansas, you know, you, you presume that things are flat for the most part, you know, there's big drainages right. and stuff out there as well. And you'll see deer and I've never in my life watched deer vanish into thin air before in front of me. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, except whenever I'm in those plain states like that, you know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, there's some deer. And then you're like, they just poof, they're gone. And you're like, yeah. you know, and if you go and you walk where they're at, there might be like yeah. a three foot, like undulation in the terrain where they just, they're three foot lower and you can't see them on over top right. of the grass and they're just hiding in there. And then they're going to pop out 300 yards away that you have no clue that that's where they're at now. You know, yeah. and it just have, makes I, it so hard. Yeah. There's so many times that I would, I would walk down, I'd, I'd walk somewhere and then I would look behind me and there's four, four does just looking right at me. Like I, I walked a hundred yards and I didn't see this little, just a little cut mm-hmm. that it, you're looking in one direction. It's not even there. You look back and it's there and they're, they, they're looking right at you. Yeah. And, uh, and then they do the bounce. Yep. They do the bounce and they're gone. I mean, the other thing was too, is like, I, I don't know if, if I, I saw a lot of deer while I was in Kansas this year, but I don't know if you've had this yeah. experience, like whether it's in Nebraska or South Dakota or whatever, but like, I just, I have a hard time figuring out like where they're going to come from. Like so many times I've walked into an area that I was covered up with deer before I even got to where I wanted to be. Like, yeah. it, or I was bumping deer on the way in and I'm like, Oh, there shouldn't be any deer here. They should be coming from here. They should be coming from here. And I want to get to here. So this seems like the best access route because I shouldn't be bothering anything. And then on my way in, it's like, I see five deer, you know yeah. what I mean? Like that's, that happened to me so many times in Kansas this year, particularly where I just, it, no matter how I was accessing things, I just always seemed to be where the deer wanted to be before yeah. shooting light or as it was getting light, you know, where I didn't have an opportunity or whatever the case was. Do you, do you kind of find something similar to that when you're hunting like those kind of open terrain kind of areas? Man, I wish I could sit here and, and give you some kind of specific, but I'm still so lost when it comes to that, that I don't even know really what to say. Right. What do you think it is? Like, what do you think? And I, and the reason why I ask this is because like you and I are both, you know, novices at that, like open, you know, open terrain right. type of hunting. Like, cause I'm just curious what, like if we feel the same way or if we feel differently, but what do you think it is that you need to get better at to, to, to uh, I don't want to say successful hunts, but to, to have better hunts in those types of, uh, those types of setups. So here's what I'll say is I will compare it to hunting from a tree stand okay. or hunting from a tree. Um, you know, if you see deer movement and you're in a tree stand, Mm-hmm. Let's say two days in a row. The yep. third day, you're going to move your tree stand and you're going to go over to where the movement was. Right. And you're going to attack. So it's it's this it's this balance of being patient and then being aggressive mm-hmm. and making a move. And so I figured it out in, in the whitetail woods 
but I have not figured out that when to be aggressive, mm-hmm. when to slow down and be ultra patient. Like you hear these guys about mule deer hunting talk about, yeah, dude, I sat over top of them for six and a half, eight hours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, instead of putting a stock, I just waited and waited and waited and maybe waited for the wind to shift or, or waited for one thing or another. And I would get in these. And, and so for me, when it comes to the mule deer, I feel like there's times where I've waited myself out of an opportunity mm-hmm. and then several times when I've been way too aggressive and and went in without went into a drainage without necessarily locating them and then I look up and they, he's already standing up looking right at me right. and so uh, it's just trying to find that balance and going through enough um, of those experiences to where I can say okay here's here's what with these conditions I need to wait mm-hmm. or with these conditions I need to attack. Right. And so uh, I haven't found that yet. Yeah. No, you, I think you hit the nail on the head, man. Cause I was thinking along the same lines, like one for me is a very fundamental kind of like mechanical thing where I screwed myself up on a really good deer in, in Kansas because I didn't draw my bow back whenever I set up on that ground setup to make sure I could draw clean and my arrow yeah. caught a sapling in front of me and bounced off my rest. And he heard it and he was at 18 yards and he, bolted out of there. Um, you know, so that was just a stupid, stupid mistake from a guy who doesn't hunt on the ground a whole lot, except when he's in Kansas, you know what I mean? Like, you know, but the other part of what you were saying is a hundred percent. Cause I found myself in that situation, you know, two different times this year of, of when do I, I thought I knew what the deer were doing. And the, the second day I laid back and wasn't aggressive enough. And then I watched a hammer deer from about 150 yards away uh, with two different, with two does cutting two does out, you know, 20 yards from where I was planning to, to be, you yeah. know, and it was like, damn it. So then I, I played it better, you know, later in the hunt and was getting to the same spot and me and that deer showed up at the same spot at the same time in the dark, you know, on the, on yeah. the last day of the hunt, you know, and I just couldn't get, I had nothing between he and I, I had no cover, you know, I was pretty much hung out the dry. He's snort wheezing at me. He thinks I'm another buck. So there's another buck not far away from us. And it was just w- one of those things where it's like, I don't know. Should I have picked, did I pick the wrong side of the drainage? Should I have been on the other, you know what I mean? Like you just go through your mind yeah. to like what mistake, what could I have done differently on this? That would have had a different outcome. Could I, should I set up further North and up top, you know, but you know, it's to your point, it's just experience, like doing it enough times, yeah. screwing it up enough times. Eventually, eventually you figure it out. Yeah, for sure. You know. And uh, I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, me too. Kansas tag still in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm going to, I think, I think I'm going to be hunting, uh, Kansas this year. Oh, nice. As well. We'll have yeah. to, uh, we'll have to talk after this offline. Um, I, I want to hear where you're going. Cause if we, yeah. if I, if we've been to the same spot, I can give you some, just my what goal, I, at least what I know this, I, my goal is to not hunt public. I'll be honest with okay. you right here. Yeah. My goal is, so my uncle, Oh, you told me about this. Mo- I think the last time we talked. Yeah, my uncle, so he, he moved from Iowa to Kansas for a job, and he instantly starts shooting booners every year. I mean, just nice. crazy. He shot a 211 during Oof. a rifle season. So he's in an area and has access to some farms that are really, really good. Right. And so my goal is to put, hi, I'm a little nephew. You know, hey, can you help me out? Right. Little nephew. <laughs> and so because he was actually one of the guys who – 
he used to take me pheasant hunting. He used to take me trapping. He used to, you know, we used to go sane for minnows. And, mm-hmm. and, and so he had some kind of role in the foundation of me being in, you know, liking the outdoors. Right. And so, and so like he took me turkey hunting. I got my first turkey with him, first pheasant with him. And so I'm, I'm, I hope he invites me to into the farm. He's already mentioned it a little bit, right? Uh, that some of the farms that he has access to, and if that's the case, then um, I, I I don't think I'll need to hunt any public, but right. I may ha- I may have some spots for backup. Nice, nice. Well, if, if in the off chance he tells you to piss off, let me know, yeah. and I'll right. <laughs> I'll share right. with you what I uh, what I know at least from the area. But man, so, so then Iowa, you basically were just in Iowa for November then, right? Right. Yep. I don't even, I don't even know. Oh, I did go to that main farm in October before my, uh, yeah, before my, uh, South Dakota hunt for like three days, dude, dude, I feel bad about even talking to people about this because there's. You know, you, you've heard of Pike County, Illinois. Yeah. Right? Yep. It's like the Mecca of big, like back in the day, big. Yeah, big 90s, mecca. it was like the place you wanted to be. Exactly. Yeah. And so now in southern Iowa, there's three counties that are just the counties that yeah. you want to be in. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I got a farm in one of them, and it's for free, and it's permission, and I'm the only person who hunts it. Period. That's awesome. And so it just, just a, a, a long story short, a listener of the Nine Finger Chronicles messaged me when he heard that I lost this local farm. He said, hey, man, I know it's, it's going to be a ways away from you, but would you be willing to drive? And if, if so, I can get you in contact with the owner. Long story short, 100 years, this family has owned this property. Wow. And the guy doesn't want to sell it, <clears throat> and he's an out-of-state. He, he doesn't hunt, and he's an out-of-state owner. Right. And so I'm just like, bingo. And so I go and check it out and I, I, I scouted the property and I was like, yeah, there doesn't look to be that much deer sign here, but I put some cell cams out and instantly it was like shooter, 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 shooter. And, and it just, and it, it was stupid how, how many good deer, big deer I saw October like seventh, sixth, seventh, and eighth when I was there. Wow, it so, was crazy, dude. I I saw four shooters. It was it was nuts. Why do you think like they're there, but you're not, but you didn't see any any sign? I, I don't know. Like I walked a lot of the property. I didn't see any very many rubs. I didn't see any old scrapes. Um, it it was just it was it like. I wasn't fired up when I left that spot. Right. But once I got in there, it is the most secluded patch of timber. Imagine, you know those, you know those coins. Uh, uh, how do I put this? Um, those coin funnels mm-hmm. where you'll drop a quarter and it slides down and it just wrote, goes long yep. all the way around in a circle and all of a sudden it goes real fast. That is what this farm is. Hmm. And so everything drops down into this block of timber. And it's just a, a sanctuary because nobody is allowed to go in there. That's crazy. And all the pressure from around it gets pushed down here, and that's where all the deer are at. Wow. And all the deer, like, it, it is, I feel even guilty talking about it 
because of the content that I put out, you talk about strategy. Right. Dude, I walked in there, I hung like four tree stands, or there's three or four tree stands. Mm-hmm. And and on the second day, like the first day, I miss this eight pointer who I'm glad I didn't kill because he's a three year old. Right. Uh, but the next day, the or the next the next day it rained all day. The next morning it rained. No. Yeah. The, the, it was a complete washout for three hunts. Mm-hmm. And then I went in there the next morning, uh, after, or I went in there the morning. How did I do this? Oh, I went in the afternoon. So okay. it rained in the morning. I hunted the afternoon, didn't see anything, came back the next morning, still sprinkling. And sure enough, the number one buck on that farm that I wanted to shoot shows up and I should kill him. And so, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> You know, it's like, hey, let's break down this hunt. Like, there's nothing to break down. I showed up and I shot a deer. Like, it was, I mean, I put myself in a good terrain feature where there was a right. lot of, you know, it was a, you know, just just stuff that you know from hunting a lot. Right, when you walk into a place, if you don't right. know anything else, you go like, hey, this, this, if nothing else, should be like the good starting spot. Exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was nuts, dude. That's cr- it, it, it. It was crazy. I mean, I, I, I didn't even need to rattle. I didn't even need to rattle. I would, I, dude. I, there were so many bucks that would cruise by, and I just hit them with the, and they would just turn around. And right now, there's some guy in Pennsylvania or Michigan going, "You son of a bitch, <laughs> I, I hate you." And I swear to God, it's not this easy. It is definitely not this easy to hunt in Iowa. But I got lucky with this farm, dude. That's crazy, man. So how many yeah. how many good bucks did you actually see from the tree? Like so well, first let me ask you this. How many days did you hunt in Iowa on that farm? On that on that farm? Yeah. So the three in early October mm-hmm. and then I was there for four days in November uh, in November. Four days in November, okay. And so yep. out of those four days, were they both like morning and evening sits or it was like one in the morning? Like how many sits do you think yeah. you had in those, in those seven days? Yeah. Uh, in those, in those four days that I was there, I had, I had a morning hunt because I went back to a tree stand. I hung in October, mm-hmm. left, hung up a tree stand that night. Hunted, missed that eight pointer. Mm-hmm. Rain delay, rain delay. That morning, then uh, that morning I went to a, and or actually while it was raining, I drove out to the farm, and I set up another tree stand in the rain, cracking thundering lightning, <laughs> and which dude, like I've done a lot of dumb stuff, but that could have been the dumbest, <laughs> and and so. I set that stand up, waited for it to stop raining, went out that night, set, uh, had an encounter with a couple deer, and then the next morning it was buck showed up, I, and then I shot him. Right, so you had four sits there. How about October? Did you, it was just three evening sits? Th- three. Uh, it, was, it was a – it was – it was – it was, maybe it was a day. It was a hunt – or a more, uh, it was a afternoon hunt, a morning hunt, an afternoon hunt, and then I left. So okay. it was actually two days. All right. So you had so, yeah. you had seven sits. Let's say. Yeah. So in seven sits on that farm, how many shooters did you see from the tree? 
Oh, am I gonna am I gonna want to drive to Iowa and like poach, <laughs> <laughs> slap you or something? Oh, dude. I mean, so in, in October, I'm walking into the farm for the very first time, and I'm I'm you know, e scouting tells me uh, I need to be in this spot. I walk right to it. I jump up a booner. Jeez, like, and I never saw that deer again. I have him on trail camera, but I never saw him again after that. Hmm. Um, set up a stand that that night of hunting. I saw that eight pointer that at the time I thought was a shooter um, and two other bucks f- through some trees that I couldn't see. And, and another big eight pointer, uh, which I, you know, those that were far away, I couldn't really tell if they were shooters or not. Right. Now through trail camera data, I can tell you that there was one, two, three, four, five, deer that i would consider shooters and they're four-year-old or older and so that eight pointer that i saw didn't count and the biggest antler deer on the farm was a three-year-old wow that i that i saw during the late season if i had a muzzle loader i probably would have had a shot at him but i'm glad he didn't i'm glad i didn't because he he has the potential of being a, an absolute giant right 11 pointer next year Dang. so um but but after that you know I'm saying five deer on that 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 were regular customers on that farm four and a half years or older. Damn. Well, and the biggest bully buck was a 120 inch, probably six year old, seven year old. <laughs> I mean, just this gigantic body. And even late season, he walked into a uh, he walked into this cornfield on a neighboring property, and he beat the shit. Out of a four-year-old, I mean, a, a bigger antler deer. Are you serious? Beat the cr- yeah, beat the crap out of him. I watched it. It was the, it was the first time I've ever seen a fight that hard in December, late wow. December. Wow, that's crazy, man. Like that's, yeah. dude, you got a little gem spot there, dude. Yeah, that's for yeah. sure. And so I'm very thankful to the landowner and for the for letting me hunt and for the guy who uh, who listens to the podcast and put me in touch with this guy, like very thankful for them. It's given me an opportunity to hunt like a farm that you only see on TV. Right. That's crazy. It's, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. So you ended up, so you shot that buck on that, you know, whatever sit that sit that was, but it was, it was not. So the, the hunt, it sounds like you were like, man, this is, you know, is, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like one of the, um, smoothest shall we say like hunts yeah, like, of, them. Of, of getting a of getting an arrow and a deer but like what kind of took place after was not so smooth right no dude it sucked honestly uh so <laughs> here's the shot i'm just gonna kind of back the deer shows up i knock an arrow or the arrow's already knocked and my my release wasn't clipped i don't know it didn't click and so when i went to draw back my arrow just went bloop right out of my bow Uh and it landed five feet in front of the buck and he looked at it and then he looked at the tree and he looked up at me and he looked back down at the arrow and he kind of took some backward steps and started peeling off and so i'm in this process i'm trying to be as still as possible while knocking another arrow he's now broadside 20 yards ish i draw i finally get everything hooked up clicked in i draw back and I didn't want to stop him because I thought I was going to spook him. Mm-hmm. It, you know, if I went back and after that all happened, I thought he was going to run. And so I let one go as he's 
like taking a step mm-hmm. and I hit, I hit him, I hit him back. Right. Okay. And yeah. so long, long story short, I hit lung or uh, excuse me, liver and guts. And there wasn't a ton of, there wasn't a ton of blood right away. Like there was a, there was good blood right away, but then it kind of dried up real quick. Mm-hmm. And this is the abbreviated version, man. So I called it, I called a dog, um, I called a, do- uh, a dog to come and track. And, the dog- and at this point in the season, you're not a big fan of dogs. No, I'm just no. kidding. <laughs> well, no, like the, the, the other, the other German shepherd that, ru- that ruined my late season hunt. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I hate my family dog, but uh, that's a different story. And you got bit by a dog. And I got bit by a dog. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I don't like, I'm not a dog guy. <laughs> you anyway. A, you had a quite a dog season, man. Right. Exactly. And so the dog comes in, starts sniffing around, finds a different dead buck. Are you serious? And so, I, and I'm just like, dude, there's no way I shot this. And the guy's like, well, the dog came right to it, right from where, you know, you shot the deer. He kind of sniffed around and he, this is where he came to. And I'm just like, no way I shot this buck. No way. So I was getting ready to put my tag on this buck. And then it popped in my head, do an autopsy, look for a wound. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm peeling back. I, I cut back his fur and there's no puncture wounds on this deer. Hmm. So he's just dead. He's half eaten by coyotes. And so we searched the, you know, a couple more hours, couldn't find anything. And then, uh, I, I left the farm. I went to go grab something to eat. And I said, and went to a buddy's house. That's th- that I know that lives down there. Talked to him for a while. And then I went back out and luckily I, um, I'm, I'm eating my last bite of an apple and I just crossed this creek and I stopped to throw it and I look down and I see the smallest little speck of blood on a leaf. <laughs> and so I just, I did the imaginary line thing where impact to this and I draw a straight line and then I follow that out and I see this little gap in this fence on the opposite side of the property and I said, I'm going to walk right there and right before this fence crossing, there he was. Are you serious? Dead. Yeah, laying dead, half eaten by coyotes. Um, and he was, I mean, it was, I, I i don't know. I was standing, earlier that day, I was standing 20 feet from him when I took a trail camera down. Oh, wow. He was just behind a big tuff of grass. And so the dog came by him. And, and what happened was I think the dog found that dead buck and it just ruined his tracking because he knew where this he knew where this deer was at. He already got rewarded for it. And then he had to, you know. Yeah. And so. That's crazy, I don't know. man. How, how, so when you shot back. him till you found him, how long was that? That was. I was watching your stories like during, yeah. during that whole, during that whole thing, like as you were kind of going through it. I'm going to guess from the time I shot that buck to probably close to 30 hours. Okay. Unfortunately, yeah. and I was not able to get the meat off him yeah. because the coyotes had destroyed him. Yeah, that stinks, man. Like freaking coyotes, yeah. man. They just yeah. It's you let anything lay for any amount of time, you're always running the risk at that point, man. It's like that's my big. Yeah. That's one of my. Well, I say fear is a little strong, strong little word, but related to, to deer hunting, that's like one of my biggest fears is like arrowing something and then like you know not being able to locate it in time before you know whatever yeah. whatever happens to get to it or whatever, but. Damn, dude. Well, I'm glad you actually found the right buck. Did you ever figure out what happened to the other one? Like, did it just... I don't know if he got... 
injured and like uh, coyotes injured, tracked him down or something or or he got run down by coyotes or maybe he got hit by a car and made it that far and and then died but right. he he died in a creek hmm. so i don't know how he got how he got there right so you know i've never seen a deer just go die in a place like that right. usually they're up tucked in somewhere and and this was just weird that he was there no wounds on him right. uh hmm. and, and so I don't know. Yeah. It, may, it, it could have been from fighting. It could have been maybe he got locked up. Maybe he, the sickness got him or something, but right. that was that was a first for me. Damn, man. Well, I'm glad you uh I'm glad you uh got your got your buck and then you got had a dog incident in late season. So I'm always curious, man, yeah. whenever when the season kind of wraps up, is there ever like a is there ever a sense of relief of like, man, the marathon's over at least for the moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so tomorrow yeah, tomorrow's the last day of the Iowa hunting season. Okay. Uh, f- I think I think there might be another, um, there might be another uh, like late season antlerless that that I, a guy could take part in. But for me, it's over. Right. And so, you know, I'm I'm just frustrated that, <laughs> but I always want to fill the freezer. I always want to go chase a big buck. Yep. But I always talk myself out of shooting a doe early. Mm-hmm. because for some reason I'm always in buck killing mode. And then I killed my buck. I didn't get the meat off him. And so now I was like, so I went back there and I had multiple tags in my pocket. And of course I let does walk to try to fill my late season buck tag. Right. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just shooting myself in the foot. Luckily I have a ton of meat from uh, earlier mm-hmm. that I can still, still use. And so I don't know. It, it's, it, I, I just, I don't know. I, I wanted to get out there and uh, get the job done on a doe or one of those other bucks for late season. Uh, it didn't work out, but yes, I am now glad that for the most part the season is over and I can quit worrying about certain things and get back to work. Really? Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you there, man. It's always it's always a little bittersweet. You know, I'm always ready for like the break of like, all right, yeah. I can just like uh, have my weekends back, you know, and go do some other things that I want to do and, you know, be a normal human for a little while. But then, you know, I've already started kind of like looking at my gear going, all right, what do I want to change for this year? Like it's yeah. <laughs> like I already started and already picked up a couple of things that I want to kind of change. And so it's like, it never, it's a never ending cycle, right? It's like, then I get into right. like the gear tweaking mode and start thinking about next year and getting excited. And if you hunt out West, it's like you're already buying tags and buying points at this point. Right. You know, right. Getting close anyway. Yeah, exactly. What, uh, man, I'm, I, have like one more thing that I wanted to kind of talk to you about. It were actually two things, but I'm always curious, man, you know, if I was watching your, your post like recently where you're kind of like showing some deer that you've passed in the past, right. That you've, that you've let walk. And I thought that that was kind of interesting. And so as I was looking at that and I was, I saw like a recent post you put up today, I was like, man, I was like, you know, I want to talk to Dan about what regrets does he have you know, I just put a note down. I was like, regrets. I've had a few. It's like the, yeah. you know, like the, the, the song, right? Yeah. Um, I was like, what are the bucks specifically in, that stick out in your mind that you regret passing? And why do you regret it now and that you passed it, you know, earlier in your life? Well, I went through a period where I was chasing. I had the luxury, you know, being where I live and, mm-hmm. and, and having access to the farms that I had access to. I had the luxury of chasing some really big deer right away in my bow hunting career. Mm-hmm. And so I got, I, I, I was, I don't even know how to say it. I was lucky 
that I had the opportunity to hunt these deer. But while I was hunting these big deer, I was skipping. I was skipping the stair step moments that every, I believe every bow hunter should really go through. And I never went through a brown it's down phase. Mm-hmm. I never went through a, you know, shoot some four corns or some one twenties. Uh, I went right away into the big, the big leagues. Right. And, and as I'm trying to play in the big leagues and learning how big deer operate, I was missing a whole bunch of opportunity at some deer that are, were were really good and that I'd probably shoot today. Right. So, for example, um, I passed a hundred and ten or a hundred and sixty inch ten pointer one year as I'm waiting for this buck I call shipwreck who was like a one ninety. I remember the story of that beer. Yeah. 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 And so, um, in this in this four year period where I'm chasing four or five year period where I'm chasing these this this giant buck and some other giant deer, I'm passing some really good 140 to one, you know, mid 150 class deer, mm-hmm. including that 160 10, where I was just like, I look back at that and I go, dude, you should have been laying those down because I wasn't filling tags. Right. You know, I, I was just waiting for the big buck to show up and anything. It was, it, I had blinders on mm-hmm. and I was only focused on the antlers and I was only focused on this one buck. And, and really what it did is, is it, it, he, that buck taught me a lot about how big deer operate, but in the meantime, the moment of truth, mm-hmm. I was missing that part. Right. Right. I, I was missing the, the, at full draw with a deer in front of you, you know, I was shooting some does, I was mm-hmm. still shooting does, but I was so focused on these, these bigger caliber, older age class deer that I, I, I feel like I skipped a step. And on some of those years, like on some of that footage that I showed on, um, 2000 and like 2000 I'm trying to think here 2007 I tagged I tagged out did not in eight I did in nine 10 11 ate my tag 12 tagged out 13 14 and 15 did not tag a deer hmm. and so in this period of time I'm just passing stupid deer and I should have shot them and it would have made me better hmm. I feel than where I'm at today it would have put me ahead of the curve right what do you think you missed at that moment of truth of like executing the shot? Like what part of that do you think, you know, cause you know, I, I know like, I know that you say this, I know like in talking to Tony, you know, that he, that he says it's like, you know, time behind string, you know, letting that string yeah. go as often as you can, you know, just, yep. it, it, it helps, you know, does no matter what, but you know, I will say this, like, there's a different feeling when that target buck shows up versus that doe you decide right. to kill that day. You know what I mean? Because right. I, I'll walk into a hunt going like, oh yeah, if I see a doe today, I'm going to kill it. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, and I don't have a, I don't, as long as it's a mature doe, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to try to, sh- I'm not going to shoot something smallish or whatever. I'm going to try to find right. like a good mature doe to take out. And, but there's no, that feeling of getting, yeah, you can go through the mechanics. Like the mechanics of, are the same of like figuring out when you're going to draw. And a lot of times, sometimes those, those old mother does can be harder to kind of fool, you know what I mean? Than, than, than a, than a buck that's all stupid during the rut. But, right. I'm able to keep my stuff together a lot better whenever there's a doe in front of me versus when that deer that I've been, that buck I've been trying to find finally shows up. It's just a different feeling. Like, what do you think that you've missed in drawing back the string on, on more of your kind of like list bucks because you were waiting on, 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 on the one. Yeah. Just exactly what that was, that, that, that moment of truth. Right. Mm -hmm. So the target deer steps out. I have very little experience at this point 
even shooting anything with antlers. Mm -hmm. And so, and so I, I blacked out, I got buck fever Mm -hmm. and I felt, I feel like it, um, especially in from 2006 to 2015, it, it, it affected, it affected me. Hmm. Right. And so 2016 comes, I start to figure out how deer move. And then I start, you know, getting in. So I kill a deer, I, you know, great. 17, kill a deer. Okay. I'm starting to figure this out. 18, kill a deer. All right. Moment of truth is starting to get easier. And so now, um, if I, if I didn't skip that period of time where I should have been shooting deer, I feel like there had, there would have been some encounters in the late 2000 teens where mid to late 2000 teens, where I would have been able to capitalize on true giants. Right. And I did not. Hmm. And so, and so shooting more deer would lead to more comfortable during the moment of truth, you know, and, and leads to killing more deer. Right. Right. And the deer that you actually want. Right. So. Right. Man. Last question for you, dude. Yeah. And I, and I know I'll get a good response from you. This is why I kind of, I was thinking, I was like, I always like to ask people like one kind of like out of the blue, hard to answer question. And I really wanted to ask you because I know I'll get a really good answer. <laughs> so Shoot. if you could change one thing about the hunting space, the hunting industry, just in general, what would it be? <laughs> I like the little, I like the little chuckle there. <laughs> That's a, uh, that is a, this is where it gets real crazy, dude. Like I have this bad vibe about hunting Okay. and I, 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 I see it. I see it every single year and, and being in the, and this makes me sound like a douchebag, but being in the industry, making my living from selling advertising and seeing how the inside works. Mm-hmm. It's, it's becoming, especially, and this is one thing I've learned since coming down to that farm in Iowa, the outfitting, the, the sales, you know, the, the leasing, the, the really focusing on the gigantic antlers. And ultimately that's going to lead not just in Iowa, but, you know, being able to take money, throw it at a problem and say, oh, Hey, I, you know, I want to shoot big deer come shoot big deer here and you can take money and you can fix the problem and you can go shoot big deer. Right. And ultimately I just see everything turning into a, in certain States, even, even like Iowa, like I used to be able to knock on doors and find permission. Now it's leased, mm-hmm. it's outfitted, um, or, you know, and as all the other ground gets leased and outfitted more permission, gets granted to those who do let it. And so it's basically a piece of public. Right. And so what I've, what I've witnessed is that, this big buck craze is leading it, this for-profit, you know, we're, 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 we're whoring out the natural resource that is the whitetail, mm-hmm. and we are trying to make a profit off of it. And I'm, shit, I'm guilty of it too by doing what I do. Mm-hmm. But it's leading to a pay-to-play system, and eventually, um, like, the majority is going to be left with the scraps. And this is just a vibe that I'm getting. And I know there's going to, there'd be a lot of people out there that will argue it, but you know, in a States like Kansas Mm -hmm. and Iowa where, man, we have less than 2% public ground. So if some of these spots go away and they will for me eventually, then I, I either have to own, I have to lease or I have to, um, uh, outfit. You know, go right. through an outfitter to hunt my own state, right? And so, uh, it, 
it, it just becomes like the water is so muddy and I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree with you, man. Like I, I would say, I don't know if that's the, I don't know if that's the thing that would have first come to mind for me to change. Um, but I also live in a different state, right? That's so it's a little different yeah. circumstances here. Um, but I don't, I don't disagree with you. Um, yeah. I just know for me, like personally for me traveling, you know, having done that for you know years that I see way more people now, right. In like these different places that I used to go where I used to not see people just generally yeah. speaking, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, I think popularity of hunting, you know, um, increasing, you know, is, is good. Um, you know, I think that that, you know, if more people are interested, I don't think that that's a, a bad thing necessarily, but I do think that there's, I do think that there's a tipping point, you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. You know, to, to a certain degree where, you know, more isn't necessarily always better <laughs> yeah. necessarily. Yeah. Right. And I think a lot of times we just look at things and we're like, well, we need more people. Right. It's like, Oh, okay. But well, I don't like the, the R3. Like, I really don't like how the R3 set up. They're like, well, we need more people in hunting. So we have a bigger vo- voice. No, I don't necessarily agree with that. I right. feel like the voice is already here. We just need to speak up. We have enough people who are hunting and I'm not saying like, I don't want to be like a, Hey, do not come. Don't do not come to be a hunter. Cause that's, that's not the case. I, I if you want to hunt, I feel the, I dude, welcome, come, come join us. But I don't feel like we need to be having some kind of like, Hey, we need to start recruiting more hunters to fill this space, blah, blah, blah. Whatever their reasoning is mm-hmm. we have, there are a lot of hunters. Those hunters need to be educated on how to speak up and where to speak up yeah. about, things it's it's like a lot of things in life in general it's it's not it's quality not quantity you know what i mean it's like if you have quality people you know who are willing to go you know speak their mind do you know and be a participant and whatever then you know you don't need as nearly as uh as uh as many people i've also kind of kind of along similar lines i had a little different feeling on it it's i I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathroom i don't think it's entirely bad but i think I feel like they might be taking a, and I don't know enough about it to speak like on the ins and yeah. outs of it, but it very much feels like a, um, a sledgehammer approach to something that maybe should be using a scalpel, you know, it, Absolutely. you know, and I say that because I'm like, when you, when you think about places where you want to want to recruit, like you do hit a point of diminishing returns. Right. And, and I don't, I'm not saying I'm, pro or con of this argument, but some of the argument that has, that that I've heard in the past is that like, Hey, you know, there's more hunters now in certain areas and like, you know, there's more people on the public lands and the hunting's worse. And like, that may or may not be true, but the, what is true is that if people are having less than ideal experiences in places because it's overcrowded, those people you're trying to get in are ultimately going to leave. And you're probably going to force other people out who weren't intending to leave to leave as well. You know what I mean? Like, so that's the unintended consequence of it. And like, and so when I say a scalpel, not a sledgehammer, it's like, where do you have the most, you know, public lands yeah. that are being underutilized? Those would be the places where I would think about, you know, trying to recruit, you know, in places yeah. like PA, it's like, we've have the biggest hunting numbers, like in the country. It's like, do you really need to recruit PA more? You know yeah. what I mean? Like that would be, maybe, maybe we do, I don't know, but that or like Michigan or like Texas, you know, what are some of those States that do have public land opportunities that just don't have the hunter turnout. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. that's maybe the places that I would start, you know, and, and have more of like that type of strategy. Um, but yeah, you know, I think like with anything else, you know, uh, 
you could always find a lots, lots of things to fix. Um, but I like, I like yours. I do. I do agree that I think it's trickling into a, uh, to a, to a, uh, a rich man's game. Yeah. You know, yeah. to a degree, especially big deer, yeah. big deer, big deer is certainly turning into a rich man's game. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so for sure. Well, Hey man, I tell you what, I actually, you know, we started off talking about grappling uh-huh. and I have to leave right now to go to uh kids wrestling practice. Awesome. So, I want to let you get out of here because <laughs> I did interview has to be over. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Before you go, dude, let people know where they can find nine fingers, where they can find sportsman's nation, all the stuff you got going on. Yeah. Uh, name change. Oh yeah, that's right. Empire. Empire. Sportsman, right. Sportsman's yep, Empire. Sportsmansempire.com. Uh, Nine Finger Chronicles. Just type it in wherever you want to listen to podcasts or Google it. You'll find it. And, uh, you know, give it a listen, man. Awesome, bro. Hey, man, I appreciate you coming on, dude. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Yeah, take care, man. I really appreciate this. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast in hell. While you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. Before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Spartan Forge, Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Genesee Beer. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.